Yeah, she'll teach you how to be artistically you. Not afraid to talk about what's taboo. So don't play small. Join the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism Unmasked. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Autism Unmasked. Today I am joined by the lovely Madge Willard. And Madge is a later diagnosed autistic person, diagnosed at the age of 44. She's also a piano and keyboard teacher and... She has written a chapter of a book, and I'm sure that we're going to go into some detail whilst we have a conversation around that today, because all of these topics are incredibly important. But firstly, thank you for being on the show today, Madge. Thanks for agreeing to come and have a chat with me, and it's uh, it's so great to finally meet you. Oh, thank you so much, Nikki. I'm really looking forward to our chat together today. Really excited to be on your new podcast, so thank you. Oh, thank you very much. It's uh, all these topics, so they're so important to to discuss and get different viewpoints. So, your book, then, Madge, what got you into what got you into writing? Because I I started with writing a chapter of a book, and that was kind of a little bit of a spiral for me. And it's just a really amazing creative outlet. So, how did you get into 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 it? Well, it was just a post I saw on Twitter. Um, it was back in 2019. A survey was done by the Autistic School Staff Project, headed by Dr. Rebecca Woods. Um, and I just saw this survey on Twitter and I thought, oh, yes, I'm an autistic teacher. I can answer that survey. And um, then what came out of it was that um, they decided to go on and write a book for, um, with some of the people who'd written chapters, uh, some of the people who'd answered the survey. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll contribute a chapter to that. And I was very pleased that my chapter got selected. So I'm not a writer by any means. I'm, I'm a musician. That's what I do, music teacher. But it was great fun to write the chapter. It was something for me to do during lockdown when we couldn't do a lot. And the book was published earlier this year by Jessica Kingsley Publishers. And the full title of it is Learning from Autistic Teachers, How to Be a Neurodiversity Inclusive School. Oh, that is such an important, such an important topic. Is that available on Audible, like an audio version? Uh, as well as I'm not sure, to be honest, but it's it's available from Amazon and um, all, all good book publishers. It should be on Audible. I'd have to check that out. Mm, okay, I'll have a I'll have a look as well, and if it is, I'll pop that into the show notes so that people have that option. So obviously, as you said, your background is in music. That's where your passion lays, and I know that you you've written a blog for me in the past about music, and mm. for you, it's on the the piano and the keyboard. So tell me about it, Madge. Tell me about it. Well, from a very early age, I was drawn to playing the piano. I'm told it was the first chair that I ever climbed onto, the piano stool at home. <laughs> and um, it's always been like a stim for me, sort of twiddling my fingers. And, <laughs> and so it's something that it was a very important part of my childhood. When I was 11, I got a place on a, at a special music school, Pimlico School. It's a regular comprehensive in London with a special music course for gifted and talented children. And I was very lucky to get onto that age 11. 
because that really saved my life in my teams because really my teams are quite a social disaster. But because I had the, the outlet for my special interest, I was able to spend a lot of time practicing the piano and got on really well with all my music teachers. And so, yeah, that saved me, really. So I, I actually never intended to go into a career of it. What I intended to do was to be a classroom teacher. That's what I trained for. After my, after my degree, um, I, got, I did a degree in music at Cambridge University and then went on to do a PGCE in um, junior teaching with music specialism. But I never actually got a job in that because I couldn't get through interviews. I was really terrible at interviews in my 20s. And it, it worked out for the best because I know I just would have burnt out by now if that's what I'd gone on to do. And I'm far better suited to one-to-one -to -one teaching. So after applying for about 60 jobs and not getting anywhere with that, I thought, what is my plan B? What else could I do? Yeah. And so I, I tried the one-to-one -one teaching and realised that I really like it. and. Just stayed doing that ever since, which is about 28 years now. Oh, that's fantastic. How did you find the, the going through the degree as an undiagnosed autistic woman? Um, well, I enjoyed it because um, Cambridge University is an amazing place. It's like being on a film set and some um, fantastic tuition. And um, But, yeah, socially, again, it was pretty much a disaster. I can't say I really made any lasting friendships there. So it, it was a mix, really. But I'm, I'm very glad I did it. Very, I'm pleased I had the opportunity to go to Cambridge. Amazing opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's. I think music just plays such a big part in so many people's lives and special interests. When you can engage them and turn them into a career as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm very lucky in that respect. Yeah. So what kind of students do you work with? Do you specifically work with neurodifferent people or a wide range of whoever kind of wants to learn? Well, at the moment, it's um, anybody who wants to learn. So my youngest student is six and my oldest is probably about 70. I work a lot with adults. Half my private students are adults. Mm. And I also work in a couple of schools. So it's a real mix. But I do particularly want to specialise in neurodivergent students. That's something I'm, I've been going more towards in the last few years since my diagnosis. And so a number of my students do have autism, ADHD, dyslexia, and things like that. Amazing. So what got you into the sort of the assessment process? What got you thinking that you might be autistic? Well, it was actually my wife who um, who said she, she, she used to work as a counsellor and so she'd been reading about how autism presents in women and we were having some difficulties with communication. So she suggested it might be something to look into. And around the same time, um, um, my nephew got diagnosed. He was eight at the time and I had a conversation with my dad and we realised my dad is definitely autistic too. So it runs in the family. And the funny thing is that my wife, um, she didn't realise that she was autistic at the time, but she has now gone on to get her diagnosis as well, which explains why we get on so well. We're a neurodivergent couple. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like attracts like. How long have you two been together? 
22 years now since 2000. <laughs> Not long then. <laughs> what are your secrets for a long and happy marriage? <laughs> we'll be here all day. I think just, just compromise, really, giving each other space. And yeah. so I have my studio in a building around the corner where I rent a room. So I do my lessons from there. And she has the attic in the house where she, she works from home. So she, the attic is her space. And um, we have some different interests and different hobbies. Like I'm in a theatre group and she's not. So um, just, just giving each other space, really, I think that's a, a big thing. Yeah, my partner, I'm pretty sure, is ADHD. And I found that there can be a lot of miscommunications at times. So you have really have to kind of go and find out what the person was actually trying to convey in the message uh, instead of coming from a place of reaction. Mm. And sometimes that can be quite challenging, but definitely having that space and those different areas of focus, because then it gives you something else to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But it can be challenging. I mean, it's a big thing for me is alexithymia. That means not knowing how I'm feeling or not being able to put it into words at the time. So yeah. If I don't know how I'm feeling, then I can't tell her. And <laughs> it adds up to miscommunication. Yeah, I, I have I struggle with alexithymia now, emotion blindness. And what I have to say is there's something not quite right. I mm. don't know what it is. I'm not being funny. It's just, you know what I'm like, I will tell you. Once I've worked it out, once it's filtered through, because what I found is that the autistic brain is slower to process information. So it comes out in tangible form, whereas a neurotypical that they can identify it. They can explain how they're feeling or they can explain a lesson that they've just been taught, whereas we need to digest it like a meal yeah. and then wait. And sometimes that can take a, a short amount of time and sometimes it can take days or weeks. Yeah. As long as you go back and revisit that topic and say, this is what it was, and that that can be really, really helpful. Something I work with a lot of clients with alexithymia and coming up with coping strategies and tools so that people aren't taking offence at them. And if people do take offence, then they're not your people, really. Yeah. It helps that my wife's a trained counsellor as well because she's an expert in all this stuff. So she knows how to handle me. Yeah, mine is too. So we're not married yet, we're engaged, but she is a trained counsellor and some of the things that she comes out with and I'm just like, oh. (laughs) It's helpful though, it's helpful. And she's got braver with what she's been able to kind of communicate to me Mm -hmm. as our relationship has progressed, which I'm sure is the same for for you and your wife. Yeah. Yeah. So um, did what, what age were you when you came out? Um, well, I fully came out in my mid-20s. Um, probably from about the age of 12, I, had, I thought I might be bisexual. I didn't know what I was at that time. And I had a few relationships with men in my early 20s and then came out fully as lesbian at age about 26. Mm. But that was it took me a while to work it out. It would have been great if I'd worked it out in my teens, but a lot of autistic people are slow developers that way. Yeah, I I married young and I actually kind of came out at 16 and then went back in because I told the wrong person. They Mm. went and told the person that I really didn't want them to tell. 
So mm. I denied it, went back in, married a man, had a child, settled down, and then thought, hang on. <laughs> and got to 22 and came out. But my other half was 40 when she came out. So it's uh, best life than never, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So it's much better to be able to be your own person and take those masks off. Yeah. I have to say my family are absolutely brilliant. My parents, supportive of everything, 100% supportive of me being LGBT and, and with the autism thing as well. So that's excellent. Really makes a difference having a supportive family. Yeah, exactly. So what would your kind of like top tip be for someone that is thinking that they might be gay, lesbian or where somewhere on or under the umbrella of the LGBTQ plus community, what would your sort of advice be for someone that's scared to come out? Um, well, just just read as much as you can, get to know other people that are, and um, and contact groups like Stonewall. And um, it depends on people's age. Obviously, if you're a younger person, there's there's groups for young people to explore their sexuality. And I don't know what else there is for older people out there, but there is a lot out there now. Just in the last few years, it has blossomed. I know for me that when I was wondering if I was, because obviously when I came out at 16, I'd suppressed it so much that I'd forgotten that until recently, which is just (laughs) amazing what our brains can do to protect us. Yeah. But I asked... Lot easier now. When I came out in the nineties, people did say to me, "Oh, be careful who you tell." But but now it can tell anybody, and just about everybody's fine with it. I've not encountered any prejudice at all, so that's been good. Yeah, the majority of people are fine. I went to a comedy gig recently of my partner, and the uh, it was with Joe Lysett, and he's he's bisexual, and he was talking a lot about LGBTQ things and there was some very uncomfortable people in the audience and I actually thought good mm-hmm. you need to learn you need to listen about this we are yeah. all just people and mm-hmm. what our relationships look like if they're different to yours that makes no difference to mm-hmm. you and your life and if you don't like it yeah walk on by and if you don't yeah. want to be sitting in an audience with a bisexual person on stage who's probably going to talk about about gay things, bisexual yeah. things, and all of the things that you don't want to talk about, then maybe you shouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it did make it, it actually made me chuckle to myself. Maybe that's right. Maybe it's wrong. I don't know, but it did. Yeah. <laughs> And um, yeah, so I think we spend a lot of time masking who we are. But the question that I was asked, and it's always stuck with me, and it was, what would you rather? Would you rather regret something you did or regret something you didn't do? And I thought, well, within reason, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, I'd much rather regret something that I'd done because I wouldn't be left with the what that unanswerable question of what if. Mm-hmm. And I came out and I've never gone back in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
and it's been it's been it's been amazing to be able to take that mask off and step into that authentic version of myself. Yeah, lots of masking, lots of masking for autistic people. Is it something you still do, or is it something you've mostly moved through now? Um, I think I've, I've never really masked a lot. I think I'm unusual with, um, with, with being an autistic female in that. I think because my, I come from a neurodivergent family where I was always fully supported. And I think I didn't mask a lot as a child, which did unfortunately mean I got bullied quite a lot. And um, especially for stimming at school, because I would wiggle my hands around in funny ways. And kids mm-hmm. picked up on that like they do. And I was called weird freak and all sorts through my childhood. But it did mean that I didn't have to spend time as an adult um, to, to trying to take the mask off. And I think I, because I've always, work, always worked for myself, so I've been really lucky in that respect. I haven't um, had to look up to a boss or pretend to be anyone that I'm not at work. So I think self-employment for autistic people is definitely the way to go if, if we can manage it. Yeah, absolutely. And there are more and more resources coming out for autistic individuals who do want to go down the road of entrepreneurship and business ownership. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things like access to work, grants, so that you can get the supports in place, training, coaching, virtual assistance to help you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So help, a little bit of help with executive function or dysfunction, keep you on track. And like yourself, your special interest is music and you've managed to turn that into a career that that pays for you. So actually there's something really magical within Mm. being able to do that. And I always say to people, what is your interest? What's your special interest? How can you monetize that? How can you turn that into something that you can do every single day and get paid for it? Because as the old cliche says, if you can find something you love, you'll never work a day in your whole life. Yeah, definitely. Although I know some people's special interests can't be monetized. Like if you're a fan of Marvel Comics or Star Wars, or <laughs> there may be jobs in that, but probably not many. Oh, I don't know. I've seen some <laughs> highly unusual things being monetized on the internet, especially since lockdown. I won't go into them here, but I have seen some highly unusual things. So I'm sure there's something out there for everybody, especially when when your special interests, you start to become an expert yeah. because you just invest so much time, energy and effort into learning the insides, the outsides, the intricate details mm-hmm. and everything, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you I, I can't say teaching is always easy. Sometimes it's, oh, it's no. It does depend who I'm teaching and how much I'm on the same wavelength with them. But sometimes it can be a real challenge, especially if I get people who don't really want to learn. They might be there because the parents have sent them and they'd be rather playing football or doing something else entirely. And that's not easy at all. It's not. And it feels like it's a waste of both your time and theirs, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. But fortunately, the majority of my students aren't like that. But there's, there are communication yes. issues and um, and I do get pretty tired if I've been teaching the whole day. It's, it's, it is exhausting. Yes. So what are some of your other special interests? Is it just music or is there any other sort of area that, that really <laughs> fuels you? I have to tell you about my theatre group. I'm in a group in Sheffield called Spectrum Theatre 
of which over half of us are on the autistic spectrum. And it's a group who um, we aim to educate people about autism in some of our shows, but also have a lot of fun as well and do shows. We do shows on various topics. We did one about the miners' strike in the 80s and about what else did we do? We did a version of A Christmas Carol that was set in Sheffield. And our director writes music for all these things. And so we do the, those shows, but we also do, we've just done a show called Moving On, which has been about some um, adults' experiences of autism. And for this, I wrote a scene about being diagnosed, um, late diagnosed, that it was called Imagine the Four Doctors. It was about having to go through the um, disapproval of the doctors and saying that there's no point in getting a diagnosis in your 40s and so yeah mm -hmm. just done this show so I'm, I'm passionate about theatre I love being part of this group it's a really wonderful group to be part of oh that's amazing you should send me details the next time you're performing because I now live in the Peak District yeah so you're not far from me yeah <laughs> I'm not no my partner's just put up a piece of art in an exhibition in Sheffield so oh, wow. we don't need to go and collect it because it's sold after three days <laughs> which is always nice but um, that's one of my special interests as well as art. So I'm looking to exhibit at some, some places myself, which is pretty cool. So your diagnosis, you said about you had four, four people, four medical professionals when you oh, were... That, that, was, that was just an exaggeration for the show. I didn't really. <laughs> oh, okay. But, you know, I speak to so many people who are late diagnosed who are dismissed because mm -hmm. it's like... Well, you're married, so you're successful. Oh, well, you've got a degree and you're teaching mm -hmm. and you've got your own business, so you're successful, so you can't mm -hmm. be autistic. Or, yeah, or you, you just don't look autistic. That was one of the lines in the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's a common thing, isn't it? Oh, you, well, you don't look autistic. Yeah. You don't look normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one never goes down well. <laughs> So what was the sort of diagnosis experience like for you? I, I, it's something that I'm quite passionate about, and I've actually put together a program that helps to make it easier because yeah. uh, I know it's not an easy process to go no, through. No, I, I went to my GP first, and I got all of that from the GP. Why would you need one now? And, mm. um, and you don't look autistic. And um, But eventually did persuade her to um, refer me to the Sheffield Adult Autism Service and at that time, there was a year's waiting list. Now it's over two years, I think. But um, I didn't want one enough to want to go private. I thought, oh, I'll wait. I don't really need this thing. I can, I've managed without it. <laughs> but um, I did wait. And I got in on a cancellation. I got a phone call one morning saying, if you can come in 15 minutes, you can, you can have your diagnosis this morning. So I thought I wasn't working that morning. But then I was working that afternoon, so I only had a short visit that day. And then I went back a few weeks later to complete the process. So it was done in two stages. But they told me from the first visit, they said, oh, we think you are, because <laughs> I'm fairly obviously so. So it was quite quick, really. And they, they were great at the Sheffield Adult Autism Service. I'd really recommend them. That's Very really good. Some treated me really well, so, so no problems there. But then support afterwards, um, they did say I would have a post-diagnostic session. 
but then they forgot about me and I had to phone them a year later and say oh what happened to my post-diagnostic session I don't seem to have had it and they said oh sorry we (laughs) seem to have forgotten about you Mm. and then I did go back for one then but that that was a waste of time really because I didn't really need it and I can't say I'm, I, I, I didn't feel that I needed any support anyway. So that was all right. But for somebody who did feel they needed support, <laughs> that was a bit useless. Yeah, unfortunately, there's not a lot of support afterwards. So that's where kind of coaching and teachers like myself come in so mm-hmm. that you can help to process these, these emotions because sometimes it's a little bit of an anticlimax and sometimes it's a whirl of emotions and what if how could my life have been different yeah because think of all the labels that you was given like weird and just odd when you were growing up and through no doubt the bullying that you experienced you was given a lot more labels and Mm. they were all wrong so when you finally get the autism diagnosis and a label that finally makes sense and it's just I often refer to it as being handed the key to the, the keys to the kingdom because yeah. that suddenly starts to know, right, that's why I do that. That's yeah. why I have these quirks and eccentric yeah, eccentricities. Yeah. Yeah. Put my teeth back in. <laughs> it was a huge amount to process. For about a couple of weeks after I heard, I, I just had to go to bed for most of the time because I just felt so tired and overwhelmed. Mm. and I got held I got hold of as many books as I could and read as much as I could and joined this theatre group shortly after and another thing I've done is joined Autscape which I don't know if you've heard about Autscape it's a conference for autistic people we've got it coming up in in August it's um it's every year in August different places in the UK and obviously we haven't had one for three years because of Covid before mm. I went for about the three years before that and so I've been to a few now but it's an excellent gathering for autistic people it's about 200 of us all different ages different life stages and we have workshops and lectures and um and just hang out socially and meet our tribe so that's been fantastic that it's actually good. in the Peak District this year actually I think mm. registration's closed now sadly but, um, uh, yeah, it's near, near Alfreton. Oh, I'm just down the road from Alfreton. Yeah. I'm in Matlock. Aye. I highly recommend it, but maybe check it out for next year. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I will have a look at that because that sounds fascinating. It is, but yeah. What are you working on at the moment? Are you working on anything in particular? Um, well, I'm now finally on holiday for the summer holidays. Having had COVID this week and I've had to finish early for the holidays, but now I'm now I'm free for six weeks. So just having a rest, really. Teaching is intense and I do need my breaks. Teaching is intense. And uh, my ex-wife was a secondary school teacher. And every time it got to the summer holidays, that was it. Boom. Yeah. Ill. First two weeks, complete write-off because you yeah. you go and go and go and go. I don't think people appreciate yeah. what goes into teaching. Mm. And then you suddenly stop and your body goes, ah. <laughs> I think that's what's happened to me this week because I've managed to avoid COVID so far, but it's hit me this week. and I'm fine now. <laughs> that's good. I, I had COVID at the beginning of the year and it floored mm. me for a, a, a week or 
mm-hmm. 10 days, I think it was. And after that, I was okay. So hopefully that's it now. I, I don't want it back. It no. wasn't it, it wasn't the nicest of things to experience. <laughs> hmm. Well, thank you so much for being on here and for giving up your time today. To well, chat. thank you for having me. I hope it's been useful to people. I'm sure it is. I've been, everybody has similar experiences when they're autistic. We have similar challenges and they're always also different at the same time as well. So, and I think it's nice for people to be able to see that it is possible to have an interest and use it in their professional career. You don't need to go and sit in an office and work for somebody else in an environment that is not catered towards your needs. So I think that there's a big lesson in that for a lot of people. And I hope that our listeners take, take something from that. Yeah, it's great. So thank you so much, Madge. And how do how do people find you? Um, well, I'm on Facebook. I'm um, just search Madge Woolard, um, piano and keyboard tuition. Um, I'm on Twitter at Funky Piano. Um, and I have a website, it's um mwoolard.webs.com. Uh, I'm actually pretty full for my lessons at the moment. I've got a waiting list. So if you want lessons, then you will have to wait. I do online tuition as well. Obviously, since the pandemic, I've branched out into online tuition. So you don't have to live in Sheffield to have lessons. Amazing. Well, I will put all of your details into the show notes and there'll also be a transcript available too for those who prefer to read or listen and read at the same time. So once again, a big thank you for being here today and I'm no doubt catch up with you very soon. Yeah, all right, thank you. And for our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never have to miss an episode again. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast with Nikki Collins Autism on Mad